Hello and greetings from the OC in Southern California. This is Tina Anderson with Get Fit, Stay Healthy and TinaAndersonOC.com. Welcome to show number 60. Today's segment is about my trip to Peru and despite it being a wonderful vacation in so many ways, I'm going to talk about what I believe to be the effects of stress and dehydration before, during, and after this trip. And it's a big, 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 gigantic, huge reminder of the seriousness of constant stress on our systems. The result for me was an outbreak of shingles at age 51, a very bad outbreak. 43% apparently of all adults, according to studies, suffer adverse health effects from stress. That's almost half of us. And about 75 to 90% of all doctors' office visits are for stress-related ailments and complaints. That's almost everything. And also, research shows that lifetime emotional disorders are due to chronic, untreated stress reactions probably more than 50% of the time. Stress symptoms may be affecting your health unbeknownst to you. You may think an illness is to blame for your headache or insomnia or lethargy or not being productive, and it could just be stress. And I know a lot of you know that, but a lot of us really don't truly know that. Of course, the human body is designed to experience and react to stress, and certainly it can be productive and positive in many ways. You know how it keeps you alert and prepared if you have an important conference and that stress is sort of a good stress when you have deadlines but you enjoy what you're doing. It helps us in dangerous situations and um, for many, you know, it's saved lives. It's a part of what we can thrive on at times. A lot of us that multitask if, if it's under control. However, stress becomes bad, just bad when it's continuous without any relief or any downtime. And that really leads to distress, right? A negative stress reaction. And that is a whole lot of not goods. I mean, really bad stuff emotionally and physically. Let's, let's look at headaches. Let's look at tummy aches, uh, upset stomach or diarrhea. Let's look at elevated blood pressure. Oh, my gosh. Let's look at heart disease, obesity, chest pains, diabetes, you know, uh, not type 1, but type 2, uh, eating disorders, and, uh, of course, insomnia, problems sleeping, and just a myriad of other issues. In my opinion, just about everything, or at least, or at the very least, someone who gets sick a lot and someone who isn't operating as productive as he or she would want to be. That, to me, is related to stress. And research suggests that it can bring on or worsen certain symptoms or diseases, which I think is what happened to me. There are studies that suggest that you can have brain shrinkage from stress, not permanent, but at that point when it's happening, premature aging in kids, divorce and things like that, passing along the negative effects in your genes. I'm talking about passing along crappy stuff to your offspring. And of course, what about fueling cancer, stroke, and then what about less chance of survival after those types of serious illnesses from chronic stress, not being able to recover properly? I've become more and more aware of the dangers of stress. I really have. It's the reason that I've really changed my training entirely over the last several years. You know, I'm hardcore. I love pull-ups and burpees and stuff where I'm about ready to throw up. You know, I, I do enjoy that kind of stuff, but I'm realizing, especially at my age, that I need more time for meditation and prayer and yoga. I need walks. I need movement that is peaceful and calm and comforting, really, to my mind and body. I try to practice breathing exercises, and I focus a lot on controlling my thoughts when they start to create barriers and obstacles to peace and contentment and joy. Of course, it's always a work in progress. I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job with my focus and my efforts, considering where I come from. <sighs> but enter my summer trip to Peru and the awakening, the awakening of my chicken pox virus, and subsequently, the constant reminder of my body's overload because of that. 
I truly believe that my virus came back to life, which is what it does. It comes back to life, basically. It lies dormant after my body had to prioritize what it could fight off. The fact that my outbreak, the shingles is what I'm talking about, my outbreak of shingles was all over my left arm, all over, except for kind of the outside, thank goodness, a little bit, and upper, kind of my upper middle chest area on my left side. The fact that it was all over there, just a tiny bit on my back, but almost really, you know, really it was insignificant. The fact that I could see it all the time, it really prevented me from forgetting that I had it, even if I tried to cover it up, which is pretty hard to do in August in Southern California. But I really believe that it was symbolic of a reminder to me the reason that it wasn't on my back or on my stomach or on my side where a lot of people were get it, where I couldn't cover it up. I just think that was symbolic. I really do. In fact, my experience really with shingles was just god-awful horrible. I had a really terrible case. My, my client, who's a nurse, PhD in nursing, and my nurse sister-in-law, who have both been in this for a long, 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 long time, told me that it was the worst case they'd ever seen. So I'm doing my shingles in a big way is what I'm doing. Uh, but I found a silver lining, something I always look for in painful situations. What can I take from the fact that I got a, a terrible outbreak of shingles at the age of 51? One night, as I was soaking in my brown rice vinegar bath, which was one of the holistic measures that I took, apparently these different types of baths, which I tried. Listen, I went holistic. I went regular. I went I went all means to attack this thing. But anyway, I was in my brown rice vinegar bath, which is my favorite of all of them. And that's to help with the pain as well. I had a lot of pain that was kind of constant, but I didn't have severe stabbing pain like a lot of people got. Anyway, I'm supposed to help rid the shingles faster, whatever. Uh, I was laying there in the bathtub. And first of all, let me just say that I took three 20-minute baths a day. And if there was any chaos that was going to happen in my house with my kids or my dogs, it, of course, always managed to happen during those times. The, you know, the doorbell rang, someone needed me at the door, the kids were fighting, the, some, the dogs are barking like crazy, which means something's going on, and I'm laying in the bathtub, and I have to get my 20 minutes, right? And uh, Anyway, so it, it never managed to uh, elude me, those moments. And then, of course, my husband wandering around with me laying naked in the bathtub, staring at me like, hello, and I'm staring back at, uh, wrong, I'm... I've got shingles, move along, stay away. This is not playtime in the bathtub. So anyway, uh, yeah. All right, so I digress. But as I'm laying there in the bathtub and um, on my stomach sometimes and on my back, that's probably too much information. But anyway, I was, you know, I was looking at my arm at one point and it just occurred to me, I looked at all those outbreaks and it just occurred to me that they really represented the moments of stress, physical and mental, that I had dealt with prior to the vacation, during and even after, some of the dehydration as well, but also just all of the moments that were unnecessary, that were dangerous, the ones that were healthy too, but the ones that weren't. And I just, I looked at all those spots and I thought of myself as, you know, I'm a true warrior, I'm strong, I'm fierce, I'm courageous, I'm tenacious, but you can only take so much and we're not superhuman. And we feel that way sometimes in the gym, don't we? I do at times. But as I was looking at all those spots on me and the pain and the nerve endings on fire and just what that meant, it just reminded me of all these separate moments that I had dealt with and some that I brought on myself that were unnecessary as I looked back. And I had a little bit of an epiphany that I had the outbreak on my arm and on my chest just to remind me of, oh, geez, Tina, really? This is what you did to yourself, as strong as you are. That might sound trivial, but for me at the moment, it was, it was a big wake-up call. There's a picture at my blog, TinaAndersonOC.com. It's my dad and I at the top of a, a climb at Pisac, which is near Machu Picchu, sort of. If you, I'm sure you've heard of that. It's outside of Cusco, and it was near the top of a climb that could have killed us, literally. I'm not kidding, really, literally. I had nausea and vomiting from dehydration. I could not keep any liquids down. My dad had a swollen tongue and a super dry mouth. We were in the middle of what turned out to be a three-hour hike. We thought it was going to be just 
us kind of walking around looking at the ruins and there was a miscommunication with my aunt and uncle. I'm not blaming them. It just, you know, everything's in Spanish. And anyway, uh, we had less than one bottle of water between us and we were both super weak and it was, it was absolutely awful. And like I said, in this incredible vacation, we had so many incredible moments amongst all these hardships as well. And this was one of the pivotal moments. And so leading up to that, I want to give you the scenario of what I went through and what my body went through. And maybe you've had something similar, not in what I went through as far as the specifics, but just a general two or three or four week time period, physically and mentally. And in fact, if you have, go to my blog. And I mean this in a really positive way, misery loves company, in a supportive way, as in you're not alone way, as people read through this. All right, so we took a trip in June. Prior to uh, taking our trip to Lima, which was for two weeks, we had a huge family wedding with a lot of family in town to get ready for. Ironically, my, my niece got married to a guy from Peru, which was fantastic. But prior to even that, we had months and months of leading up to trying to figure out if we could take two weeks off, because my husband was concerned about taking that much time off, and he was scared, really had a lot of anxiety going out of the country for the first time with our two kids, and and keep in mind, they've never, you know, been outside of the country, the United States, and when we have been in other states, it's still been very comforting. We haven't had to deal with, you know, being um, in a third world country. You know, we live in Orange County, it's very nice here. So we had the stress of me trying to calm them down, and constantly worried about how is this trip going to go and praying for please let it go well, which I still think our prayers were answered, but in a really interesting way. Uh, and so we were, we were dealing with that. Then we had this huge wedding to get ready for and family in town the week before we left. We had all kinds of situations to deal with, including the passport situation, which we showed up for passports at the wrong time, had to wait an hour. I sent mine out, then I forgot something, they were sent back because I, I actually was renewing mine had anxiety over getting my passport in time. And then we had huge discussions with my dad over what apartment to get and the cost and where we should be. And he was concerned about, you know, spending too much. And we had arguments sort of over that. Trying to get our flights was a complete nightmare because my dad doesn't go online. So there were phone calls back and forth and he was here. And we were trying to get the right flights and we spent hours back and forth. And my dad was already stressed out about that. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but you know leading up to a trip. First time out of the country, people not having passports, trying to get an apartment, not sure where you should be, trying to figure out the costs, trying to get your flights, and you have connecting flights, trying to get in on time, my dad making sure that people can pick us up, and my dad trying to figure out how he's going to get there early and take care of this. So leading up to it, we had all of that on top of me trying to get ready with work, trying to get all my responsibilities taken care of, trying to make sure that I wouldn't miss any deadlines that come up, and I have a lot of time-sensitive things that I do. So trying to plan ahead for that, trying to get the house ready, who's going to stay here. We have three dogs, which are part of our family, and trying to make sure they were taken care of, and then Kirk's situation at work as well. Okay, so we had all of that going on prior to that. Already some stress and tension amongst us leading up to Peru. Then Kirk checked on travel warnings with the government, and there were all kinds of warnings which were not connected to where we were going, but there were travelers who had been abducted and kidnapped. Oh, my God, really? So he was concerned about that and imagining all these things that could go wrong, which where we were staying was very safe, but in his mind, he, he couldn't picture it where I could because I'd been there uh, three or four times. <sighs> so let's take us now up to getting ready that night. So we had to leave at 6 in the morning from LAX. We live in Orange County. We decided that having to be there two hours before at four meant let's just pack and get things ready and not even go to bed, which is what we did. So we got everything ready, tried to weigh the suitcases. It was, again, sort of chaotic uh, at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. So we're still getting ready. Drove up towards LAX where my nephew lives, picked him up, and then he took us to the airport. Everything was smooth there. We got there and literally checked in in like 40, not even 40 minutes, like 35 minutes. We were there two hours early. So then we had to sit in LAX with the kids who hadn't slept, getting sort of ornery and frustrated and um, uncomfortable seats at LAX. I need to talk to them. Uh, anyway, so we have that, right? So you're following me, right? Then we get on the flight, and Reese, my uh, 16-year-old, who's about 6'3", had not been on a flight since he had grown that much, and he has really long legs. And he was extremely 
100% totally uncomfortable from the get-go. And his seatbelt got stuck as we were trying to get them on, and he was frustrated because he couldn't get it, and they were telling him to get it on. And my brother, his brother was trying to help him. He was frustrated that his brother was trying to help him. His brother's only 13, didn't want help from anybody. It was kind of tangled, and they started fighting over it and created a little bit of a scene. And my husband's going crazy because they're creating a scene, and I'm trying to keep them calm. And so that's how the flight started, with no sleep, of course, at 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so we get, uh, we get <laughs> to Miami. We get to our connecting flight. Everything's okay there. And um, we see this paperwork kind of being passed around. I was tired, not really paying attention, didn't realize that that was paperwork we needed to fill out to get uh, through customs and such. So we get to Lima, and there's line after line, right? And we don't have this paperwork filled out properly. So as we're in line... I'm thinking to I'm thinking, you know, I think we need to fill out this paperwork to you know what we're declaring and all of that. And my husband's like, "No, I'm sure it's fine." And we get up to go to the passport line to show our passports and they ask for this paperwork which of course we don't have. So we have to get out of we waited for like what about 35 40 minutes to get to that line. We get pulled out. We have to go fill out the paperwork, which I'm not quite sure how to do even though I speak pretty good Spanish. I don't remember this stuff, so I'm trying to figure out what to fill out. I do my best. I have to do four separate ones for all of us. So they let us go back to the front, which, of course, pissed some people off. We go back in, and they were not friendly. And they're like, no, 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 es correcto, or whatever they said. So I don't get any feedback on what to fix. I'm just told it's not right. So we go back over again. I try to fill out some more. I come back, and no, it's still not correct. So by this time, my husband is seething, and the kids are losing their minds, and everybody's staring at us because we keep coming back in line. We, you know, we're, it's obvious we don't know what we're doing, and that embarrasses everybody. So then we go back one more time, and I'm trying to keep everybody calm. So this time I finally get it right. They stamp our passports, and we get through. And, um, oh, wait, let me back up. I almost forgot. See how I forget things? I don't have this written out. This is just me explaining. No, we had paperwork in Miami to get to Lima. Um, we had to do paperwork, and so... What happened was, in Miami, we had the same problem to get to the flight to, to get on to Lima, and that flight we almost missed because of trying to do the paperwork. That's what it was. Okay, so then we get to Lima. We, had, we still had paperwork problems, but we started in Miami before we got there because we barely made our flight to Miami because the paperwork wasn't filled out properly or something. So we ran with our bags and barely made our flight. Okay, there we go. I knew there was more to it. Then we, of course, do get to Lima, and there's all kinds of lines in Lima uh, at an international airport. And I know a lot of you have experience at international airports in different places, but you know there were all these different lines and things we had to do. And my family is just really frustrated because they haven't dealt with this before. So I'm the one that can speak Spanish. I'm the one that can try to keep them calm. And it's pretty much on me because it's they're just struggling with it. They really are. And they haven't slept really at all since the night before. And so <laughs> you can imagine, you know, how that was. It took forever to get our luggage. And Kirk thought it got lost for sure because we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And um, my family was waiting to pick us up, which was good. They were there. By the time we finally got through, and there were two or three other lines or something. I'm not kidding where we had to turn around, go back, change something, do something. I it's just, it's a blur at this point. But nothing went as planned. Pretty much nothing went as planned from even the kids getting in the wrong line when we're supposed to go on the airport to, no, you're in seat, you know, you're in the second group or whatever. It was pretty much everything <laughs> that happened. Uh, and so you can start to imagine the beginning, the, the weeks lead, the months leading up to this, the week leading up with a huge family wedding to all these issues, just getting to Lima and then waiting for luggage at the Lima airport so we get everything, family's there. So for me, uh, it was really emotional too, getting there because I hadn't been back for a while and I have a, a soft spot. I have uh, an incredible longing to be in Peru, in Lima especially, but to see everybody. But in general, just to be in South America, I miss it. I love it. It's part of me. So this part of me is kind of starting to come up to this, oh my gosh, I'm here and oh, I'm in Lima and I'm in Peru and my family's here and I'm feeling emotional and 
try not to cry just because it felt so good to be there. And my family's with me and this is amazing and all of that. So I have that boiling over sort of in me to get to see the family. And they were all worried that we weren't going to make it and whatever. So we grab all the luggage and it's chaotic. There's like, I don't know, probably 12 people there. We drag everything out to this huge van which we get in, and of course we're all kind of sandwiched in there because in South America, especially in in this location where we're at, uh, which you may be familiar with, you know, you stuff people into vans and cars and taxis all the time. I mean, you you're breaking the law all the time. The seatbelts maybe on, maybe not, depending on how many people you have in there. So we're all stuck in there, and everybody's kind of tired, but it's kind of fun too. And it's a long drive to our apartment. We're dropping people off in the meantime. Oh my goodness. So we finally get there and it's a great apartment. Everything's fine there. So we have a little lull. Everything's fine. We get in, we, you know, put some stuff away and, um, we try to get to sleep, which was hard to do. Okay. So first day up, get up. And my dad's already got stuff planned with the family. Now this is tough because we haven't slept. We're in a different country and family is overwhelming there and they want to see us and they're so excited, but it's overwhelming. So right away, we got to drag everybody out and right away we made the first mistake in food. And that is we went to a restaurant that was strictly Peruvian food instead of easing ourselves into it. So really overall mistake number one was not having any downtime before we started with the family stuff. And then second was to jump into strictly Peruvian food immediately, which uh, resulted in me getting sick that night um, terribly. And I don't want to be graphic um, because there's two ways to get sick. You know what I'm saying, both ends. I was throwing up. Everybody else was okay, but I threw up the first night. That started what was already an issue of dehydration because I really, with my stress levels, realized that I, I had kind of dropped off on my water intake a little bit. So I think I went into this dehydrated. Then you travel dehydration, even though I drank some water on the plane, but I didn't always have water with me. So then I was throwing up all night and then you can't drink the water there unless it's bottled. So if you don't have bottled water, we did boil water, but still it's not as uh, accessible. And so that's a problem too, right? So that night we went out again and had anticuchos, which is cow heart. I know you're grossed out, whatever. I'm pretty much not a meat eater, but I'm going to have some of it because I'm in Peru and it's a delicacy there. And it does in a weird way, tastes good. So I know it sounds gross. Anyway, so my kids loved it. Kirk loved it. They had a ton of it. Guess what? Dane, my younger one, and my my uh, my Kirk, my husband, were super sick from then on for about five days in a row with um, Dane throwing up and Kirk with diarrhea pretty much off and on all the time. So we could they would feel okay, and then they'd have an episode, and then they'd feel okay, and they had to sleep a little bit. So that started the trend there with them also getting dehydrated and us having to start planning around kind of people being sick. So it put a crimp in all of the stuff that we were doing and it caused extra stress. And my dad, who's sort of like, you're fine, you're fine, keep going. In his mind, come on, you know, which typically I'm kind of like that too, but they weren't fine. But in his mind, come on, we don't have much time. We want to stay on, on schedule. So then we started having this issue of who can do what, how can we do it? So we got some great stuff in, but we had sick people. And that caused extra stress. And I was still trying to juggle sleeping in an apartment with people sick. And on top of that, our room had an incredible view. And I have pictures on my Facebook page, Tina Anderson OC, of my Peru trip. Great view and everything, but it was noisy. So I'm not used to that. It's like a New York apartment. And I hardly ever slept. And there's a lot of light that came in. They didn't have it lighted. They didn't have the lighting uh, or the, they didn't have the curtains set up right. And it was very bright, so I, I didn't sleep well anyway. So dehydration, the stress, getting sick, and I wasn't sleeping. Hmm, that sounds great, right? But on top of it, I still had great moments. Don't get me wrong. There was still great moments. And in the apartment, we ran out of hot water all the time, too. We had an 80-gallon tank for all of us, and uh, that caused um, some stress with people running out of water and being mad about it. So anyway, okay. So, <laughs> um, and dad was concerned about us getting the apartment dirty because we had a $300 deposit, not breaking anything. So he was constantly worried about that, which was fine, but you know, it, it just was extra stress, 
right? All right, so we got through the week, and, you know, we had ups and downs. My, my uh, aunt, Tia Alicia, was in the hospital on top of everything else because she had gotten burned, so we had to go see her, and she made me cry because I'd never seen her like that. She didn't make me. I started crying, and she started crying, and I got very emotional because she's a close aunt of mine, and to see her like that. So I had the stress of a close relative not being able to be with us because she ended up in the hospital about a day before we got there, wouldn't you know? So then we had to try to go see her in between all of this as well because we felt guilty for her. Okay, so let's uh, move on from that craziness to um, to after the first week heading out to Cusco, which was what I was so excited for too, to get to Cusco and then Machu Picchu. So we got to Cusco okay, although we'd all kind of been sick and everything, right? But we got there okay, and um, we got to Cusco, and you're supposed to hang out for a day or two because of the altitude. Well, we got there and had the uh, mate coca tea, which was fabulous, and I figured after a couple hours, you know what? I feel pretty good, which was mistake number three, the hugest mistake number three. And Kirk was fine. My dad felt pretty good, so we went out into Cusco, and wanted to check out the city, which was incredible. Oh my gosh, love Cusco. But by the time I got back, I felt like I had literally hit a brick wall going a thousand miles an hour. My head felt like it literally was going to explode. I had the worst migraine of my life, like drop to your knees migraine. Plus I got sick, throwing up sick. And I was for sure, for sure dehydrated. Because when I think back, I realized that I'd run out of water, have to go find water somewhere else. We were walking around. I was throwing up. I was dehydrated, right? So that was not good. So I got into bed and we got some prescription medication, which you can get prescription over the counter there in their pharmacies. And it's not very expensive. So I, I asked them something about something for my headaches. And so they gave me something, and oh, yeah, that took care of it. I mean, I was like, whoo, hello. I found out later that shingles can come about also because of medications, wouldn't you know? And, you know, so everything I did pretty much led up to shingles. But anyway, so I started to feel a little bit better, and I had, but I I still was kind of out of it from the altitude sickness. Uh, Reese, my older son, was starting to feel weird. And he had altitude sickness too, but it manifested in a different way. He gets hives really bad. And we found out later he hadn't been taking his medication for that and a couple other things consistently. So he was starting to feel off and weird and full of anxiety. He had a severe um, kind of anxiety reaction to just feeling weird, if that makes sense. <sighs> so we, um, we wanted to head out one day to go do something. And so Reese and Dane, my younger one, decided, listen, we'll stay back in the hotel. Reese isn't feeling that good. He's coughing a little bit. He just kind of feels off. He's tired. Let's just hang out here. We can throw on TV and watch ESPN, which is in English or something. So I said, okay. So what I, my understanding was we were going to go to PSOC on a bus and just kind of look around. Wouldn't have to get out and walk because I was still dealing with altitude sickness. I had been still had thrown up. I couldn't really imagine hiking anywhere, obviously. Kirk was feeling pretty good, though. And my dad was starting to look a little ragged. He was starting to look tired, and I, I was a little concerned about him as well. So we all get in the bus, and my aunt and uncle are like, in Spanish, no, we're just going to go to Pisac. It's another of uh, the ruins, and we'll just, we're going to go look around uh, a little bit, but pretty much we're just going to watch it from the bus. Okay, fine. So we get up there, and I threw up twice in the bus, and so did my, uh, my cousin, who had gotten sick the night before from different food in Cusco. And so we had all these bags on the bus. Can you imagine? And we get to PSOC, and, we get, and, we, and I decide, you know what? I'm going to at least get out. I want to get out and just, even though I felt like I was just going to die, I'm like, I want to get out. My headache was coming back a little bit. And just at least walk a few steps, right, and look at the view. The minute I got out, I threw up, and so did uh, Liz, my my cousin. But once you throw up, you feel better, right? So you have this lull of where, oh, I feel better. And the shaman came over and gave me something for my headache and nausea. So I was like, okay, fine. The shaman gave it to me. I'll do this. And so I'm kind of trying to feel better. And the shaman showing my aunt and uncle a little bit about where we can walk around. And he made it sound like it was just like this little path we could take to see some of the ruins. And by that time, I was starting to feel a little better. And my dad, eh, I don't know. He was sort of like, let's do something. I'll be okay. Now, we had planned on being on the bus for a little bit, 
getting out to look, coming back, and going back. So we weren't prepared for hiking. We didn't have a lot of water. We were not prepared for hiking, right? Sunscreen, none of that. So we decided, okay, let's go look around. I'm, and I, so I said to my husband, you know what? I just want to go. I'm all the way in Cusco. God, you know, damn it. I'm going to go do this. So I said, I'll kind of lean on you a little. So we decided to take off. Little did I know that it was going to be a three-hour hike. Little did I know that we wouldn't have water. This is a hike where you look down on one side and you could drop down to your death. We have two kids, 10 and 8. We have my dad who had a severe injury in his foot who is 86 years old in incredible shape but would be climbing up and down steep terrain. We're not dressed in the right kind of shoes. And my dad and I borrowed some water from Liz, which was already half gone, right, between the two of us for three hours, dehydrated, throwing up. Uh, altitude sickness and something going on with my dad. Okay, so we start the hike, and I'm kind of like, okay, whatever, it's beautiful, trying to take in moments, I love this. Not throwing up anymore. I'm not drinking water either, that's probably why. And uh, really struggling, but okay, we're going to do this, right? So we are enjoying the, you know, the beauty of it, and I'm having moments where I feel like I'm going to pass out, but now we're in the middle of the hike and we have no choice. Well, we get to the top finally, which is the picture I have on my TinaAndersonOC.com site, and you can see us, and I am like, holy hell, I am flipping in trouble. My dad looks terrible. He can't really talk right. Like he's like trying to, it's like smacking his lips and super dry mouth and all of this stuff, and I'm like, oh my God. And we have to go down though. We can't go back. Going down was almost worse. So I'm trying to like actually go fast move quickly and then stop. Go fast, move quickly, catch my breath. So uh, I'll take you down. We get down. My dad has to scoot down on his butt half the time because his foot is starting to hurt and he didn't want to re-injure it because um, he wouldn't be able to walk if that happened because it was an Achilles um, issue. So he's scooting down on his butt going down and looking, you know, not too good considering how tough my 86-year-old father is, right? But we're up at what, 9,000 feet above sea level also, with altitude sickness. So we get down to the bottom, and um, Jose, who is Liz's husband, who is a real trooper, goes and gets us a bunch of stuff to drink. So I'm, he only had Sprite, but whatever, right? I drink Sprite and immediately throw it up. So this is not a good sign, right, when you can't keep your liquids down. And um, so then we get on the bus, and uh, we, we get back and we, you know, to Cusco. We get in, and Reese and Dane, because it took forever, are freaking out. And Reese is like, I have pneumonia. I'm, and he's broken out in hives all over his body. I could die. I think I'm going to die. I can't believe you left us. You're terrible parents, terrible parents. We're stuck here. We can't reach you. And, 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 you know, and Dane's like, Mom, I was trying to help him out. And I'm, I'm having diarrhea and throwing up. And I'm trying to help um, your son who could die as pneumonia. And, you know, just complete chaos. And Kirk and I are like, oh, my God, you know, and just whatever. And my dad's not feeling well. He climbs into bed, and so we call the, we have La Mirada Inn, which, oh, by the way, La Mirada Inn in Cusco, gorgeous, but guess what? You have to walk up a pretty steep climb to get to the hotel. So before all of this, we're climbing up and down steep terrain to get to a beautiful hotel. We don't get to just walk in. So by the time you get up to the hotel, you're out of breath. That really helps when you're dehydrated and sick, right? So anyway, we call, they call the medics. They come out, which is great there in Peru. They call them. They show up for you. And he takes all of his vitals. Oh, his nails are blue. His oxygen level is low. The breakout, of course, really frightens and alarms the medic because he doesn't know he has hives. He doesn't know his history, but it looks pretty bad, right? Reese is itching. He's coughing a little. And in his mind, he has pneumonia for sure. And it's, you know, it's going to kill him. And so he decides he needs to go into the hospital and be checked um, and get all of his blood work done and urine and all that and make sure, get a chest x-ray and because Reese is so freaked out, I'm, uh, yeah, of course. So, yes, they take him down. He goes in the, um, in the uh, emergency, you know, ambulance, if you want to call that. I'm riding in the back with him, and they're giving him oxygen, and I'm sitting there thinking, you're flipping kidding me, right? I'm in an ambulance in Cusco with my 16-year-old son. This, this, this just can't be happening. Yes, of course it could be happening. I mean, really. So we, uh, we get there and, and, um, everybody else follows in a taxi and he gets settled in and they, they take all of his, you know, vitals and they take tests and all of that. 
And I stay overnight there, which they're really wonderful. They let me stay there, got me water, and they fed me and all that. And they had nurses coming in all the time, as they would, but they were fantastic. And I think they kind of liked Reese. They were young nurses, and (laughs) it was kind of sweet. They kept coming in saying, he's he's doing so well. Most kids are crying, you know, and Reese is just kind of like wanting to get wanting to be taken care of. He's more concerned that, you know, figure out what it is. And luckily, everything came back positive. So it was altitude sickness for the most part, and the stress created the reaction of the hives, which happens quite a bit. Plus, he wasn't taking his meds correctly, so he was kind of messed up. So the good news is everything was fine. But they wanted to keep him, you know, till like mid-morning to early afternoon or something uh, the next day. And I said, well, let's see how he does in the morning, you know, because we want to get to Machu Picchu, and we had only a, f- a few days, right, for this to, to occur. Well, um, long story short, that morning we finally get him out of there, and my dad shows up. So my dad wakes up that morning apparently in the hotel because you know, the rest of my family stayed back and shivering uncontrollably and shaking and about ready to pass out. Well, he was suffering from severe dehydration and exhaustion, you know, he's 86, and when he got in, he, so they brought him in. So he's in the room across from my son. Unbelievable. He looks terrible. And, they, you know, we find out that he was, had he waited much longer, he would have been in, let's just say, uh, serious trouble, right? Serious trouble. I mean, my dad is a freaking horse. I mean, at 86, he's unbelievable. But he had obviously pushed himself too far. He hadn't been napping. He hadn't been eating right. Oh, let's get on to the eating, of course. So my diet, which is normally great, Shakeology in the morning, which I only took a couple times because we kind of got off. So my diet, of course, all the Peruvian food and then food and then getting sick. So I was living on like some packaged stuff that I could see the ingredients, a lot of bread, and then trying to get the water in. But you know, it was just not a good diet. Afraid to eat the fruit had it been washed in bad water. And you know, I did have some. But anyway, so the diet was terrible. Exercise, I got a little bit in, but I wasn't too worried about that. So just to digress a bit, my, the food situation had not been good in that sense for all of us too, because we had been sick, right? So we weren't really eating properly. Okay. So let me jump back into the story, (sighs) catch my breath. So, uh, we get Reese out and my dad's, you know, needs to stay in. Well, we had two days to see Machu Picchu and then we flew out. So we get back and it's complete and utter chaos to try to get us to Machu Picchu because it's the one thing that Reese wanted to see. It's the one thing my kids were excited about. And between all the stress and the sickness and the stuff we dealt with, it's the one thing they wanted to see. And I was like, damn it, we are getting to Machu Picchu come hell or high water, which pretty much is what it was. So I found a travel agent who literally ran all over the place to try to get us there. Here's the problem. Part of the route was washed out, so the train couldn't take us directly from Cusco to Machu Picchu. You had to take a bus to another place, Oyacantambo, and Oyacantambo. You had to take a bus there and then take the train to Machu Picchu. Well, the train that we could take there was fine, but we couldn't get one back. It was full. So we had to find a way to get to Aguas Calientes, which we could do. Then take that to Cusco, which we could, or that to Machu Picchu, which gave us literally two hours to see Machu Picchu. But then we had to stay overnight in Aguas Calientes in some hostel because we could only take the train the next morning. And we had to take it at five in the morning to get back in time to get our flight from Cusco back to Lima. And so I was running around like a crazy woman with a travel agent in a taxi. I didn't even know her, going to places, trying to get tickets, trying to get the train, trying to figure out what hotel. No nice hotels really there. My husband did not want to stay at a hostel in a place he'd never been, which we ended up doing, which is a whole other story, which I'm going to get to. So if you could just picture complete and utter chaos again, Reese just getting out of the hospital, not feeling 100% but better, and um, and a last-minute grab backpack, get in maybe a toothpaste and a toothbrush and his meds, we're leaving. No time to pack anything, nothing. So... We get on the taxi. It gets us there. I throw up on the way to Oyotantambo, of course, but we make it. We get on the train. We make it to Machu Picchu. Well, actually, we make it to Aguas Calientes. We have a mix-up on our tickets. We get a one-way ticket to Machu Picchu. Of course we did. Get there just in time for less than two hours of Machu Picchu. I will say that my kids had a fantastic time, and it was breathtaking 
I, it's weird. I'm just I'm kind of feeling emotional. I don't know why that just came came um, over me. I had to stop for a minute, but ah, wow. But it was it was it was unbelievable. Maybe I'm emotional because it was just the the culminating moment that we all waited for. It was. So we had a great time there, and we got back, and we went to get on our bus to get back to Aguas Calientes. And, of course, oh, you you only have a one-way ticket. So can you imagine my husband and kids hearing that news after everything we've been through? Because we had to wait for the last bus to get our tickets and get on. Because... Oh, no, we had to wait for the last bus because you can't get tickets there. So they had to take us on the last bus with the workers so we could get our ticket and pay for it when we got back to Aguas Calientes. <laughs> yeah, that went over really well. So we do that. Then we get there and we get to Aguas Calientes, which is a fun but very touristy town. We finally find a place to eat because they're hungry, which I didn't want to eat at either, but for some reason Kirk wanted to eat there. We get a meal that is just bad. It was gross, literally. Don't eat anything. And the kids are frustrated. We did um, have some great musical accompaniment, which was beautiful. And we ran into my aunt and uncle there who were meeting us there, but we didn't get to see them. A whole nother story. Uh, and got to talk to them for a little bit. Took forever to find our hostel. Yes, it was a hostel. We get in there, you guys. I'm not kidding. It was sort of like, you know, a scene out of a, you know, horror movie. I mean, it wasn't horrible, but... You walk in, the door's kind of open, there's nobody in the lobby area. We finally wake her up from somewhere. We get the keys, we go up, you open the door, and it's two double beds in each room. The lights are dim, um, it, it feels like it's really kind of unsafe, and one light in the bathroom doesn't turn on, and it, it's just like, you know, Kirk's like, oh my God. And so the kids are supposed to be in one room and us in the other. Well, they're not going to sleep in the other room, so... I and Reese, me and Reese, slept in one double bed. Reese is 6'3". Dane, who's about 5'7 and about 155 pounds, slept with my husband, who's 6'2 and about 220 pounds. Now, we had to get up at 5 in the morning, or we had to be there at 5 in the morning, so we probably slept an hour in the same clothes we were in, in a hotel, where, in a hostel where everybody was worried about their safety. And yes, we laughed about it. We really did. There were some funny moments when you think about it. It, you know, really. So there we are, you know, and you can't really watch. Well, we did watch a little bit of TV, but it was a tiny little TV up in the corner. And you can hear noises. And little did I know that it was like paper thin walls because Dane then, of course, had an attack of diarrhea because he had been having them. Dane goes into the bathroom and he's rapping. He's making a funny rap about diarrhea and going to the bathroom, whatever. And it's it's funny. And, uh, and he's pretty loud. Well, I had gone downstairs to ask about the other TV that wasn't working, and I could hear him in the lobby. The walls were so thin, and we were right above the lobby. You could hear him in the bathroom. And so there, people are starting to walk in, and they're looking around. And, of course, I'm looking around like, yeah, what is that? So <laughs> anyway, so I come back up, and I'm, you know, I'm explaining this, and we're laughing. And you know, it's chaotic, and we're tired, and the food was bad, so nobody's feeling good. And my headache's kind of coming and going, so I'm taking these pills for my headache. And oh my gosh, yes, that's the scenario. So we barely sleep, if any, at all. And uh, I think I slept a little actually because Reese sleeps really quietly in one place, and so do I. But Dane and Kirk are all over the place, so I don't know if they even slept at all. So we get up and throw our stuff on. And in the dark, we can barely find this place. We had to ask like three people where it was. I'm not kidding. It's super dark. And Kirk's feeling a little bit unsafe because you can't see anything. And some people just look at you. They don't even talk to you when you're, you know, at four in the morning. And my Spanish is good, but still. And so it's kind of creepy. So we finally find it. And we're worried we're going to be late to catch this train. We get up there. We have our tickets. And I... And I have this sick feeling in my stomach because I realized at that point, as I'm digging around to look for stuff, that I had forgotten my glasses in the hostel. These are prescription progressive glasses. I cannot live without them. Well, I could, but for the most part. And they're expensive, right? So I say to Kirk, oh my God, I think my glasses were on the little bedstand and I must have knocked them off because I kept looking at my phone to check the time, even though I set the alarm. And he's like, are you, are you sure? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, how much time do we have? So we look and we, he goes, okay, I think I have enough time to run back and get them. Okay, my husband was a track star in college. He, he went to the Olympic trials for middle distance. He's a stud, but he's, that was when he was in college, right? He's 51 and he weighs a lot more than he did then. And this is in the dark 
up and out with high altitude, being sick in a place that we'd only been to twice, it's hard to find. So he takes off and I'm telling them, my husband's going to go back. And, you know, he's literally, he takes off and my husband, <laughs> unfreaking unbelievable, gets back. I don't know how he did it. Literally, he must have got there and back in like nine minutes. I, I'm not kidding you. He must have had record-breaking time. How he did it and found that hostel, the fact that he could run up, the room was still open, and get the glasses and come back, and we made the train. There were Inca goddesses and, and warriors and all my angels floating around us, um, giving him extra superhuman power at that point. I don't know how... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but he did. It was uh, so we get on the train and we make it. Thank God. And we get to uh Oyotantambo, right? And we had a private taxi on the way there, so Kirk's expecting the private taxi back. Well, it's a there's a guy at the sign there saying Anderson family, that's us. He's like, "Oh, good. Look, they have a sign." So we go back to our our quote taxi. Well, this time it's a bus. And our travel agent was able to get us there on a private because it was last minute. But then she scheduled us on a bus because it's less expensive when there's a bunch of other people. So I asked if it was full, and the lady said no. So I said, Kirk, why don't you go in the back? Because there's like, you know, there's there's six seats back there, or four seats back there. You'll have some room. And I forget that buses are really bumpy, and Kirk's head is about towards the ceiling. So we get on there, and there's other people on there. And his first thought is, there's other people on here. I said, well, no, it's not private. And he's it's not private. But no, it's not private. We're on with other people. And he's like, oh. So, and these people were from New Jersey. They were Peruvian, but from New Jersey, they were a lot of fun and they spoke English. So I was having fun with them, but he was uh, totally annoyed. Recent day and we're tired and not happy about it either. So we, uh, we start to take off and they're holding a sign out the door, Cusco, Cusco. And Kirk's like, and I'm just going to quote him. What the fuck are they saying? They're not putting people on here, are they? Are we taking on more fucking people? Are you fucking kidding me? I'm sorry. I just have to drop the F-bomb because that's what my husband said. And we use the F-bomb around a lot. So I'm just telling you that's what he said. And and I'm laughing inside because it's kind of funny the way he's saying it. And I said, well, honey, it's, it's a bus. Yeah, they pick people up if they have extra seats. Well, there are two extra seats in the back row with him right? And then I think Dane was next to him. And then we hit these big bumps and his head about hits the ceiling and he's, you know, God damn it. Every time. And, and people can't hear up in front very well because it's loud, but I'm sorry. It was, he was dying. It was funny. I mean, he's annoyed. His head's almost, you know, there's bumpy. They're calling Cusco out the door. He's flipping out because he thinks more people are going to get on. He thought he had a private taxi. I mean, the whole thing is just comical. It really is. So uh, we have this ride, and I know I keep saying so. I might have to go back and edit those out. If you still hear so's, then I didn't. But anyway, we, uh, so we get there, and the whole ride's pretty comical, honestly. He was totally annoyed. And we get back to the, to the hotel, and my dad has gotten out of the hospital, and he's um, feeling better, and we make it in just enough time to get to the airport in Cusco, and we get on the plane, and we sit on the plane for about 30 minutes, and we sit on the plane about 40 minutes, and then we find out that there's something wrong, and we have to get off the plane. I'm not kidding you. Of course we'd have to get off the plane, right? So then we get off the plane, and uh, we get on another plane, and, uh, and we get there. Uh, we get to Lima. Okay, so we're okay there, but then uh, my nephew had taken something on board he wasn't supposed to. They had to take it off. It was like a weapon. It was a pretend weapon from Machu Picchu. But anyway, so we had to wait for this weapon thing to come through, and that took about 45 minutes. We're all waiting because we're going to get a taxi together to get back to where we're going. So after all of that, we're sitting in an airport with nowhere to, actually nowhere to sit with our luggage waiting. And yeah, that, that just, that wasn't pleasant either. So then we get, we get to our new apartment on La Paz, which was a little bit bigger and nicer. And Kirk had brought a bottle of red wine because he thought when we get back, cause what we did is we went to Lima, we went to Cusco. Then we had two more days back in Lima before we headed back to the United States. So we meet our person there to go over everything in the apartment to make sure nothing's broken or dirty so that we don't get charged for it. The lady is fantastic. Very nice because we did have some other issues checking out in the other apartment. 
by the way. Of course we did. We had some issues to go over with her, and that was really stressful because my dad was really upset and thought she was cheating us, and that was a whole nother ordeal. Oh, yeah, whole nother ordeal. Oh, by the way, we lost hot water in the first apartment in Lima, too, completely lost hot water for a while, and the door wouldn't work quite right. Uh, the door was jamming. Uh, of course it was, right? Okay, so we are getting our stuff out, and Kirk pulls out something with the with the bottle in it, and it falls to the ground next to this lady and shatters and spills red wine everywhere, all over the, the floor and on part of the furniture. Oh, yeah. And I look, looked at him, and I just said calmly, we'll take care of it. Just go in the other room. Uh, you know, I, I wish you'd just slow down a little bit, you know, but okay. I was a little frustrated, but I didn't want to make it any worse. The look on his face. So he goes into the room, and we spend about 30 to 40 minutes cleaning and mopping and getting all the glass up. And then we go through all the stuff, and uh, she leaves, and Kirk comes back out, and we try to calm down because it was, you know, not good. Now, here's the problem that was happening as well. Reese had ear issues, so his ears plugged up from Cusco to Lima, and they had not unplugged. And once again, he was starting to freak out about his ears because he couldn't hear. So we still had to go over to Liz and Jose's place to celebrate her birthday that night. Because we had been in fairly early, um, you know. I mean, it doesn't sound early, but we had enough time to kind of relax. And in Peru, everything's late, right? So going over there at 9 o'clock is not late. So we're like, Reese is going to get better. Hang in there. And he's not happy. He's freaking out. He's angry, frustrated, and it's just not pleasant. So we decided to go anyway. And by the way, we had this dual elevator apartment on one side and one on the other. Tiny elevator. And if you didn't stand in it right, the doors wouldn't open. So we had the doors opening and closing, locking, unlocking, trying to shift our whole bodies like something out of Saturday Night Live from one side to the other. I'm cracking up. Kirk's frustrated. Dad's cracking up. The kids are frustrated. And we're in this elevator sandwiched in there. Not, It's not working. Can't you know get out. And we had that going on every time, which to me was flipping funny as hell. But anyway. Uh, and so we get to, to Liz and Jose's, and Reese is still freaking out. So we finally decide we're going to have to call another medic. So Liz calls her doctors, and they come out, and they look at him and basically say, you know what, we think it's just from the altitude sickness still, but we know that you're really struggling, so we'll give you a shot of something. So they gave him a shot of something, and I got to tell you, by the time we got back to our La Paz apartment, he was like, hey, hey, well, you know, this isn't bad at all. I mean, I'm just... I think I'm just going to go lay down and take a nap. I feel great. Whatever they gave me, this is good stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, we, like, you know, can we all have some good stuff? Because we all would like to be like Lucy in the sky with diamonds right now. You know what I'm saying? Holy hell. So Reese goes off to sleep, and he's fine. And the rest of us are sort of like trying to de-stress and all of that. And we sleep because we only have two nights there. And we get up um, to 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, construction work right outside our window, tearing something down. And... Uh, you know, to, to the credit, really, of our landlord and our representative, they didn't know, and they felt really, really bad. I mean, they really did. They kept apologizing. They had no idea that they were going to start construction just that morning, of course. Well, uh, so it was really loud, so we didn't sleep very well, but it, we got up, and, you know, of course, and, it, you know, it really wasn't that bad, and we still got out that, uh, we still had some things to do, and we still were able to get out, and see some stuff. And we saw uh, Museo Larco, which was incredible, unbelievable. And the kids got a kick out of the erotic, uh, the erotic um, sculptures and part of the collection, which had been featured on like National Geographic and stuff. Anyway, they cracked up. So that was kind of funny. It was beautiful. <sighs> so we, uh, we got through that and, uh, you know, the rest of it wasn't too bad. It wasn't any other major, major things. So we are heading back now, and we get to the airport in time, and Dad and my, um, I'm kind of leading you to the end now, Dad and my Uncle Hami wanted to come in and say goodbye to us. Well, they wouldn't let him in. So we we had to say goodbye, which is probably better. I would have been crying because the airport was so full. I would have been crying anyway. So we get up to the counter, and of course, I'm the only one that speaks Spanish of any, and I'm pretty decent once I've been there two weeks especially. We get up to the counter. We've had these tickets for six months. And, of course, she says, I'm sorry, the flight's been overbooked. We, you can't get on 
The flight's been overbooked, really. So I'm saying to her in Spanish, we had these tickets six months ago, but I'm hearing other people next to me getting the same message. So I'm explaining to her, mira, you know, uh, estamos enfermo, uh, you know, necesitamos ir hoy día. I mean, like, in other words, we've been sick. I mean, these are my kids. We have to get going. So she says, hold on. She comes back. She gets us on. By this time, we will miss our flight if we don't run. So we're running to get to our flight, and we, we got on, and honestly, there were other open seats. So I don't know what that was all about. But Lon, L-A-N, Airlines was still fantastic. We had great seats, lots of room. We each had our own TV screen. That flight was fantastic. It really was. We got off that flight, and uh, we uh, this time did our paperwork in advance, thank goodness. Still had a bunch of lines to go through in Miami, but we were able to do that, and it wasn't as bad, but still a lot of waiting, a lot of frustration with the wait, which I just kept saying, guys, this is traveling international with connecting flights. We get on our flight to Miami and I have this bad feeling about our luggage. And I'm not saying that because something bad happened. I'm just saying I have a sort of, um, you know, third eye psychic thing when I'm very in tune with my body. I don't know how that one I wasn't really in tune with my body, I don't think, but I still got that hit. In other words, I hadn't been doing a lot of meditation or anything or prayer, which is usually when I get good hits. Well, anyway, yeah, so we get to our, uh, get to our destination and yes, the, the luggage didn't arrive for about four flights, total chaos in LAX. We waited an hour and a half, no luggage. And by this time, my nephew, Eric had been driving around, driving around because he came to pick us up. We took him home. Right. And then we, we drive back to Orange County. So by that time we just said, we just got to go. So he picks us up, and we're all exhausted and frustrated, and I'm trying to keep everybody calm as usual. We get back home, and, you know, I kept calling and calling and calling because you only have 45 minutes to get your phone call in for them to deliver it or whatever, and I couldn't get through. Couldn't get through till the next day. And we waited over an hour and a half, and luckily I found out that you have to wait an hour and a half for them to deliver because they weren't going to deliver the luggage, which came uh, two days later. So I, I had to kind of uh, bully my way into that, but they did deliver. But when I got home, I put away some stuff at 2 in the morning, and some of it happened to be gifts. And to this day, I still cannot find those gifts. I put them somewhere safe, but I can't find them. So all these gifts, I really was careful about choosing for people. Five little pendants out of uh, Cusco, I cannot find. So uh, the stress really continued to the very end with me not being able to find some of these awesome gifts. So what I'm explaining to you is that the stress continued up until several days after the trip even because I was so frustrated. I don't lose things. I don't lose things. I'm organized. I I have a place for everything. But I think at 2 in the morning with everything I had been through, I just... I don't know what I did. And I, we looked through the trash at like 2 in the morning with gloves on, thinking I had thrown it away, and we, we looked everywhere. Anyway, they're still missing. I have no idea what happened to those, um, unless there's gremlins in the house or ghosts, and they decided that, that it would be really funny just to take my gifts on top of everything else. Okay, that is the Peru journey. Now, may I just say one more time, because I have to, so I'll feel better. There were moments of incredible connection, moments of pure joy, and moments of dancing and sharing. And there were times when the kids really took in South America and Peru and had a complete appreciation for that heritage that they share and where we are. The entire trip wasn't a loss. It wasn't the trip from hell in the true sense of the word, although there were times. And Machu Picchu will always be indelible in their memory. And maybe we can go back and really enjoy Cusco and Machu Picchu and some other things. I I hope so. So the importance of all of this is this reminder of a situation that you might get in where you have all this stress. And I was just carrying on through it. I was just getting up, doing my thing, going on and on and on with it. And could I have prevented some of that? No, there's no way I could have. But is it still a reminder of our human capacity to handle stress and when we reach our limit, what that's like? And on the other hand, how strong we are. Everything that we went through, everything I went through, because I really was keeping this family together. 
I was the one trying to keep people calm, and I was trying to be the bridge between family members that wanted to talk to my family members, family members from Peru who couldn't speak English. I was one trying to keep everybody comfortable, along with my father, but he was stressing out too. He was really at kind of the end of his rope. So he was stressing me out, and I was trying to not let him stress me out. So I, I really physically and mentally was just in warrior mode without knowing it. Our immune system is our wall, our fortress, our partner in crime against you know sickness and disease and so many factors can suppress its ability to protect us. And stress is certainly at the top of the list. And I've talked about, you know, earlier in the podcast, the issues of this. So even if you're strong, fit, you still, and if you're a high functioning individual, if you're a high functioning individual in stress, you still have to be careful about pushing boundaries. Uh, you know, when you're stressed like that, your body produces a lot of cortisol and that wreaks havoc on your body's inflammatory processes. And I learned that in a really tough way, you know, the lack of sleep, which I had, and the chaos before, during, and after the vacation, just nonstop, you know, coupled with the magical moments, the highs, the emotional highs, and um, the change in my diet and exercise, and the lack of consistent sleep, I really didn't have any consistent sleep, the lack of my discernment and awareness of my worsening dehydration due to the water and you know, the throwing up and whatever I ate and the altitude sickness and then taking prescription strength meds that I had never taken before to alleviate those migraines that about dropped me to my knees, the overnight stays in the hospitals and then the getting back to home problems, the changing planes, the losing luggage, the lost gifts, it was more than I could handle. And that is why I believe about a month ago, it's like we got back um, the 29th of June that I had a severe outbreak of shingles. I was running in emergency mode and my mind and body paid the price because our bodies, they don't distinguish between physical and psychological threats. You know, they don't know what's going on. If I'm stressed over a busy schedule, an argument, a Peru trip, a lot of responsibilities, a Peru trip, (laughs) your uh, emergency or my emergency stress response could be on all the time. And the more that your body's stress system is activated, the harder it is to shut it off. So long-term, it can lead to serious health problems because the chronic stress disrupts nearly every system in your body. Now, I'm not talking about long-term for me, but I am talking about short long-term, if that makes sense, over probably a month's time. I mean, this isn't over years, but, you know, raising the blood pressure, suppressing the immune system, increasing the risk of heart attack and stroke, and and speeding up the aging process are all part of the long-term stress. And it can even rewire the brain and and leave you more vulnerable to anxiety and depression. That's pretty serious stuff. And it just makes me think about all of that. And I want to share that with you because mine was a short-term but pretty severe amount of physical and mental stress. My sores, my shingle sores, were a constant reminder of the constant battles I imposed And really, we impose upon ourselves, some of which are within our control and some not. And you know what? I felt bad for my immune system. I felt bad for my internal organs. I felt bad for all my cells that were trying to shield and protect me and yet had to endure the pain and suffering that I was going through. I felt bad for the unnecessary and frivolous fights my body had faced up until that point. I also felt incredibly strong and powerful in the middle of all this in certain ways, which sounds strange, because I know that a lot of people would have been bedridden in a much worse condition and would fall apart. But really the most significant element as I reflect on it now and as I did and still do is the importance of respecting our body's incredible immune system and, yes, how incredible our bodies are in fighting for us. But when they give in, it's bad. And you might not feel like you're in this category. But for all those bumps I had, the big ones, the little ones, the shingles break out, the little bumps, the bigger ones, those bumps were a reminder of all the bumps we deal with on a daily basis. The bumps in the road. The bumps in the road that build up our stress and intolerance. The bumps in the road we face. How we deal with them how they affect us. So, my friends, take exquisite care of yourself with your choices and your reactions to and from everything. When you're in a situation where you can't control certain things, 
more important for your relaxation techniques, your breathing, your, your downtime, your prayer, your meditation especially. Respect yourself. Take care of yourself. Because when it goes bad, it really goes bad. And you know, my go-to for my immune system is my Shakeology. Okay, I'm not doing a commercial. I'm just saying, it's not a, it's okay, it's sort of a commercial, but you know me by now. I didn't take Shakeology very much there. I, that won't happen again. I took it with me, but Kirk and I, I think had two shakes or three out of the entire time. I wish I would have had more. I think it would have helped. I really, 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 really do. And I'm not just saying that to get you to buy Shakeology. I want you to be healthy. I take it. I would anyway, whether or not it's part of my business. So anyway, um, yeah, uh, Shakeology.com forward slash Tina Anderson or on my blog. You know, I've got links everywhere. Listen, I'll, I'll send out a free packet to you if you're really interested in trying it. I always do. I have many times. And if you've had the same experience with stress, go to my blog and share it, please. TinaAndersonOC.com. Sharing is caring, my friends. Sharing is caring. I do have a picture of my arm there at the beginning of the breakout, day one. Day five, at the end of it, holy shit. (laughs) It was shocking. It was shocking, shocking, really, and my chest too, and a little bit of my back. Okay. (sighs) All right. So next month's topic is still under consideration, but I'm leaning heavy, heavy on something light. Don't you think? Fun. And something with levity, such as gym etiquette. And a rant on clueless wonders in the gym and how not to be or look like one, because I've had some experiences lately with that too. So I think you got to get ready for my irreverent side. I've already dropped the F-bomb in this podcast, and I'll, I'll probably bring that on a little more, perhaps. Until then, make good choices, set appropriate boundaries, spread good vibrations in the world, find something to laugh about every day, and please, oh my God, manage your stress before it manages you. Talk to me at TinaAndersonOC.com, my online home, and the place to hang where I help you live your life in the groove. TinaAndersonOC.com. Subscribe to my blog, shop, mega coolio stuff, giveaways pretty soon. I'll be waiting for you. This is Tina Anderson. This is Get Fit, Stay Healthy, asking you to do the same. And this Get Fit, Stay Healthy segment is brought to you commercial-free, courtesy of TA7 Productions, Inc.